Welcome to today's healthcare podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm Sean Heath, and today's conversation is an interesting chat with Spencer Jones, the founder and CEO of Linnaeus Medical. Spencer, how are you today? I'm doing very well. It's a a beautiful sunny day here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm excited to be with you. I have to say, I'm pretty geeked about this conversation, and I don't know that that's an emotion that's applied to discussions about healthcare very often, but I think people will understand why I'm so excited. What exactly motivated you to start this company? In a short sentence, it, I was I experienced the problem firsthand. So I was in early 2015. I was working full time as a registered nurse. Was working the night shift med surge, so I'd have any you know anywhere between five or seven patients. And you know one of my patients who had dementia had pulled out her IV site, and she had no idea what she had done, obviously. But I looked at that situation and said, okay, what are my clinical solutions here to to prevent this? And the only options I had were to you know order bilateral wrist restraints to physically um, you know, restrain her to the bed or just wrap her arm, you know, from uh, wrist to shoulder in some type of gauze so she couldn't pick at it. But then again, I couldn't assess that IV site at that point. So I really sat there and said, there are, there are no clinical options to solve this problem. And it was a habitual problem. And that was really the genesis of saying, okay, I need to, you know, we need to fix this. And from there, you know, did, did a little patent research. I knew that was where you started found a gentleman in Ohio that was working another another registered nurse. He had patented this concept. And while the patent was very rudimentary, um, it was still a decent patent and something that if we were going to create this business, we needed to own. So negotiated the purchase of that patent from him. And then, you know, really within about 45 days, I had been accepted to an, a medical device business accelerator in Memphis. Um, that was May of 2015. And um, that was really kind of the the beginning of Linnaeus Medical, and everything kind of snowballed from there. When you were going through nursing school, did you ever imagine for a moment, oh, in a couple of years, I'm going to be a CEO of a potentially major medical breakthrough company? No, it didn't. I mean, I, I originally went into nursing school thinking I was going to do anesthesia um, and go go to CRNA school. My my dad had done that for you know 32 years at the same hospital. And I just, I liked his job. I liked the healthcare space. I liked, you know, being in the OR and I thought that's what I was going to do. But, you know, as I, I did, I did at least see this. I didn't know that I was going to, you know, start this company and it was going to become what it is today. But I did see there was just a, a, a plethora of inefficiencies plaguing direct patient care where I, you know, meaning where the nurse puts their hands on the patient. So I did start to see that. But no, it wasn't, it wasn't really until I, you know, basically quit my job and walked out my last day in scrubs. That's when it really sunk in that, okay, well, I am trying to be the CEO of this company. And it is, you know, then at that point, I kind of was determined to make it successful and live that dream. So I was believing at that point, but it really wasn't until, you know, that kind of fateful April 30th was the last day I walked out of a hospital as an employee wearing scrubs. I have to say, I salute your bravery because that has to be absolutely terrifying to do that. You know, it it was, you know, there's, uh, it was a little bit of a leap and I'll, I'll give big ups to the hospital I was working at St. Vincent and Little Rock. They were very, they allowed me to take essentially a three month leave of absence to go do this accelerator in Memphis. Um, you know, I built up a good rapport with the staff there and was, it, it was a, a, in my view, a quality nurse for them. And so they were very, they helped make it a little bit less of a risky leap. But at the same time, it was it was kind of, you know, I'm I'm not one of those people that is typically afraid of the unknown. 
So um, it was it was fun for me. And it was it got stressful towards the end of it, but that beginning part was just <laughs> just pure fun and joy. <laughs> you were on the 2015 list for Arkansas Business 20 Under 20, the 2017 Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Fast 15. I think it's safe to say you're really not a secret anymore. <laughs> well, I yeah, we we have gotten some really good press, and I was you know thankful and lucky enough to make those lists. But um, I think, you know, and I want to I want to say part of the reasons that I was on those lists is I really do enjoy being a part of the entrepreneurial ecosystem and have in various roles kind of played a part in different entrepreneurial support organizations. And so um, I, I'm just a, I'm kind of a homer for Arkansas. I want to see the state do well and advance economically with our health outcomes, et cetera. So being on those lists was really great. And, you know, I think part of it was because of Linnaeus, but part of it, I hope was because I really am trying to make a difference in the state, you know, be it through entrepreneurship or improving health outcomes. You came up with a solution, but I have to say this problem sounds a little unrealistic to me. 46% of peripheral IV lines fail. I don't want to say that I don't believe you, but that number sounds ridiculous. Sure, sure. No, it, it does sound high, uh, you know, to, and to be clear, so it's 46% of IVs fail before their intended end of use, right? So an IV should be able to last three, if not four days. And 46% of those IVs that are successfully started never make it to that, to, the, to that period of time, right? Most of them are dislodged, meaning they get fully pulled out. You know, the catheter wiggles out of the vein, but it's still, un, you know, in the skin. That's called infiltration. Sometimes it just irritates the vein and you got to pull it out. That's called phlebitis. Sometimes the catheter tip can get occluded. Blood particles uh, and fibrin, the clotting factors in your blood, will just coagulate around that tip and block it. So there's just a number of things that can go wrong with a catheter. It's one of the most commonly performed procedures in healthcare, but it still has an abysmal rate. And I, you know, personally, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but that's one of the things we're trying to do. We're trying to change that. We're trying to make better peripheral IVs, make our existing peripheral IVs last longer, have more successful dwell times. But it is a staggering statistic. You're absolutely right. Can you give me just sort of a layman's view of what safe break vascular actually does? Sure. I'll give you an, an analogy to start it with. So if you've ever pumped gas and you're looking at, you know, you've got the nozzle in the car, you look up the gas line and you see that hose that's in between you and the pump that's on, you know, on that gas line, that is a breakaway connector. So when someone drives away, right, if they've got the pump still in and they drive away from the, you know, the pump, they don't rip out the line, their, their fuel tank isn't damaged, it's just a clean controlled separation, right? Gas isn't spewing everywhere. So it's that same exact concept brought to the IV space. So it's a it's a controlled and intentional separation of your IV line right near the IV site. So you've got your long IV tubing, right? You're going to hook the safe break up to that, which is just about a two-inch little adapter. Then from there, you're going to hook that up to the extension tubing that's right next to your IV site, right? So this is going to be right next to your arm. So the whole idea is that, you know, whether you've got Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera, if you go to rip that IV out, this device is going to separate intentionally uh, at about four pounds of tension, seal off both sides so there's no blood loss from the catheter side. Catheter still clean, dry, and intact. The dressing is clean, dry, and intact. And then on the, the IV pump side, that medication is not wasted. You, you don't have to reorder the medication, reorder or you know restart the tubing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's 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 meant to be a a one-time disposable that allows you to preserve your IV site and preserve the fluids and tubing you were using to uh, um, provide that infusion therapy. So hold on. If it breaks at a controlled connector, 
that means you don't have to stick me again. Exactly. That's that's the big thing. We are trying to with this product and then our uh, then our our following product at Lenius, we are trying to eliminate as much pain as possible from the infusion therapy bundle. Okay, I have to say, so I'm not going to lie, I'm multitasking right now. I just went to Lenius Med, that's L I N E U S M E D.com and I watched the Safe Break vascular product introduction video. Man, that is really cool. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty geeky. I'm really, that's really super cool to watch that video. Yeah, thank you, man. We we were proud of that video. You know, we've got some digital animation in there, obviously, as well as the live footage. But it's fun to see a graphic artist kind of take your creation and, you know, chop it up in some animated cross-section. It's really, it's just fascinating to see, but I appreciate it. I have a, a few nurses in my life, uh, ER nurses, clinical supervisors, and the joke that they always make amongst themselves is that the smartest doctors you will ever run into are probably nurses. And I have to say, that seems to me to be an untapped resource of knowledge and problem solving that is not leveraged or taken advantage of quite enough because the nurses are the ones who see the problems constantly day in day out and for you to have taken a moment in the chaos that is an er and to come up with an idea of a way to solve that problem i'm going to go ahead and say it right now that's brilliant i appreciate i had actually it's a funny story i had someone that i was given care for as their nurse um i was i was with them the entire night shift and then uh, the next morning we were doing shift change report and she was like, "Oh, you're my nurse. I thought you were my doctor this whole time." So it was pretty funny. I was like, "No, not 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 exactly." But no, I no, I couldn't agree more. So one of Linus's kind of core core values and in our our company's vision is supporting nurses and uplifting nurses. You know, I personally feel that nurses are not protected from a staffing regulations and staffing guidelines perspective. A, a board of nursing, right? Whether it's different for each state, they may recommend a maximum of five patients per shift. And you have places where they're getting seven, right? And it's it's just, there's a lot of things about the nursing profession that I'm pretty passionate about improving. Um, and I think and I think things are improving. Um, but I do think they're an unleveraged resource, untapped resource, as far as having that insight into the direct patient care and what's actually going on. I, I couldn't agree with that more. So obviously, SafeBreak is going to be incredibly easy to adopt. I don't think anybody could deny that. I'm curious about the reception you've been getting from healthcare providers. Right, right. No, great question. So we definitely have gotten a great response from nurses. The, we, we've been interviewing you know, value analysis professionals, people in purchasing, trying to get in front of chief, chief nursing officers, directors of nursing, et cetera. They're all excited about the product as well. You know, There's generally kind of price sensitivity right now in healthcare, mainly because of all of the upheaval with you know, the ACA legislation and whether that's going to be there or not, et cetera. So uh, the reception has been extremely warm. Um, anytime you're coming into a hospital and saying, hey, you haven't been buying this, but we want you to buy this now, there's going to be some turmoil uh, internally for them about adding another line item to their budget. Um, but at the same time, everybody has seen the value. It's just a matter of you know how large of an impact will it have um, kind of looking at direct cost, right? So how many IV restarts will we eliminate? You know, How many dwell times of existing catheters will we help reach their full intended use. Um, and it's a little bit yet to be seen. You know, we've got, we've got pretty robust return on investment models that we've been discussing with people that all check out. But, you know, the proof's really going to be in the pudding. And I'm excited to see the positive unintended consequences of putting a device like this in. You know, there's, there's patient pain that goes down, but 
you know, what does it look like when you give each one of your nurses, you know, 20 minutes of their shift back, right? So I'm excited to see what things like that, uh, the impact it has on kind of those ancillary parts of um, the patient care. It could almost be said that you have moved from the bedside to the quality side of the equation. It's really not an easy transition to make, but you seem to have done it pretty flawlessly. The The fact that SafeBreak and the other ideas that you have that are coming down the line are all geared towards making the experience of a patient as easy and as stress-free as is possible within such a, a stressful time. Going to the hospital is not fun, and anything that anyone can do to reduce the stress level on both sides, because if I was a nurse, here's one of the reasons I could never be a nurse. I couldn't stick somebody with a needle. <laughs> I'd never be able to do it. I couldn't do IVs. I, I just couldn't. And this is a thing that removes that stress, even from, I would imagine, even a veteran nurse doesn't love sticking people. And, and if you can remove that from their day-to-day -day or minimize it, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you, you, hit, you, you were saying some really key things there. So when you talk about experience and people just don't like these things, the, the experience you have in the hospital is going gonna, is gonna to be felt through those, um, they're called HCAP surveys, right? So your communication with the nurse, your interaction with the nurse and the physicians, your ma the, manage, the, the way that that facility managed your pain, right? Those are all things that, the, the, that um, each patient will have to fill out a survey for. And at the end of the year, Medicare and Medicaid, which is the biggest you know, paycheck provider to hospitals from a reimbursement standpoint, Medicare and Me Medicaid reimbursement can be held back based on poor HCAP survey scores, or you can have essentially bonuses given to those hospitals that exceed and get positive HCAP survey scores when it relates to infection rates, but also patient experience, communication, management of pain. So there is, you know, th this move to value-based care that's happened over the past three or four years, it's really driven um, and increased the value in products that improve the holistic patient care experience for the patients. And I think hospitals are, have been realizing that. And whenever they seek out new products, they do care about how it, uh, how it impacts their patients. And I'll say one last thing on that. You, you hit on another thing. It's stressful for nurses. Nurses are burnt out. They're very stressed out as a whole. They have poor health statuses than their cohorts and, you know, just typical other industries. Um, and it's very expensive to hire nurses. There's a nursing shortage right now. So making life easier for the nurses, while it may not move the needle as much for the hospital, right, it still is something that they care about and it is important because they understand that nurses are the working hands and feet of their facility. What sort of innovations, without giving away your next brilliant idea, what sort of things do you see on the horizon? So I think kind of emerging markets, I think the way that artificial intelligence is going to play a role in facilities is still yet to be seen. But I know that there's, you know, IBM Watson's doing some things with some different facilities and healthcare providers. But immunotherapy is another huge one that I think is going to change um, healthcare kind of in the coming decade. You know, that essentially reengineering, you know, the neurovirus to go out and attack, you know, lupus cells or something like that, or what maybe it's cancer cells. So I think immunotherapy, those are kind of just emerging market ones. I think in the short term, though, you know, this, this value-based care push is going to continue. Um, a lot of the contractual purchasing providers, you know, these GPOs um, and kind of the hospital systems that they work with, I think they're going to continue to try to redefine generating value for their customers, which are the hospitals. And, I, and I'll say 
Typically, they'd been logistics and kind of, you know, a hospital is going to use 10,000 products a year. We'll source them for you and get you competitive prices on all of them, right? That was their typical goal before. But I think they're, they're going to continue to move into, well, let's be innovative. Let's bring them um, new ideas, new concepts that can help lower their uh, cost of care and improve their patients' outcomes. Um, and then the, the last thing that I, that I, I, I truly believe this will, we'll see this as a trend over the next really two decades. Um, is kind of a transition to a managed care model where there's there's more smaller facilities spread out through communities. Um, and this would be opposed to our kind of current system of, well, let's just stick one massive level one trauma center that has eight specialties. Let's stick it, you know, in the heart of, you know, Little Rock, right? But then there'll be no rural providers for the people that live outside of that, you know, 40, 50 square mile radius, Right. So uh, uh, in managed care, just a little bit, just to give a little bit of um, context there, managed care is a, it's basically a type of insurance plan where the insurance providers reach a deal with the service providers. So the clinics, the hospitals, the outpatient facilities, and those, and, and they're trying to manage those lives in that area, right? Um, based on kind of the fluctuations of different diagnoses and things. But it's a more collaborative, adaptive model than our t- kind of typical just insurance gun for hire model that we have right now. But I definitely think you'll see more managed care networks pop up over the next two decades. Well, I think you're doing a fantastic job and I'm really rooting for you all the way and wish you nothing but uh, continued brilliance and success. I have been talking today with Spencer Jones, the founder and CEO of Lineus Medical. Spencer, thanks so much for taking the time for us today. Sean, thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. And if you ever want to have me back, just say the word. I'd love to join you again. Absolutely. I look forward to talking to you again down the road. Have a great day, Spencer. Okay, you too. Take care.